So, we are going to talk about ingratitude. Turning the tide. I love what you guys did with the theme this year because I'm not an Alabama fan and they just got defeated. Turning the tide. Turning the tide. It's good. I like it. Any Alabama fans in here? Who would, who would admit it? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you talked. Okay. Because you, you have that really in, intelligent look in your eye. So I spotted you as a gator right away. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let me start out with uh, a word of prayer. Then we'll get cranked up. Father God, we come before you humbly. Because we know that, um, as so many speakers have said, without you, God, we would be dead in our sins and transgressions. Without hope in a crooked and depraved generation, God, that you have redeemed us by the blood of your son, Jesus, by his resurrection from the dead. You've made the promise to us that you will come back and take us to live with you in your presence for eternity. And for that, we're grateful, God. Let us never be ungrateful. Let us never forget what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so how many of you think ingratitude is actually a sin? To be ungrateful. It's not a trick question. Okay, so this is going to be a really short lesson. Stop being ungrateful. Okay, thank you. So I, th- I told uh, Wes last night, I was going to do that introduction. I thought that was pretty good, Wes. What do you think? Yeah, because you kind of gave me... It sounded better last night than it worked out to be this. I should have sat down and just been like, okay, that's it. You yeah, know? it should have been that So it was in the delivery? Yeah, yeah. Sort of like the end of your sermon yesterday? Yeah, okay. Very <laughs> much. All right, let's look over at the passage that um, was given to me. Um, and, and I'm going to sort of let you in on a little secret about me. Um, and that is that um, about two years ago, I went to the dermatologist, and um, she told me I had a squamous cell carcinoma. I, I said, I got this little spot right here on my leg. She said, well, that's probably a squamous cell carcinoma. I said, well, burn it off, because I've had, you know, when you get old, yeah, you know, you get the little skin cancers burned off if you. Well, look, they, you, they burned them all off up here. It just it took your hair with it. But, you know, I, I thought, it's, look, I promise you, this, the, what I saw of that cancer was no bigger than the end of my key right there. Just a little bump on my leg. And so she said, well, you know, it's not like a... Okay, we got to respond, all right? One, two, three. <laughs> Did they scream on my She took a little, it looked like a, a pencil, the eraser in without the eraser, a little smaller. It just, I, it felt like, no lie, that she put it up on my leg and hit it with a knife, with a hammer, you know, and it pulled a plug out and biopsied it. She went there and put it in a little container, sent it off the lab, said, it is squamous cell carcinoma, we'll have to cut it out. So I thought, okay, no big deal. So I went back and um, I laid on the table, face down. And um, 
And she took a knife and cut an incision about that big and cut out this cancer. And it looked like, no lie, the size of a chicken nugget. So I took a picture of it and sent it to my kids and said, this is what's for supper. It's the chicken nugget cancer they took out of my leg. But that thing was like, it was that big around and that thick. It was enormous. But what I saw on the outside of it was just a little tiny, scaly thing on the outside of my leg. So now every time something pops up, I'm going back and saying, hey, have I got another squamous cell carcinoma? And no, no, this is something else, you know. And the reason I'm telling you that illustration is because I think when we look at a word or a concept like gratitude or ingratitude, it's so easy to say, well, just stop doing it. I wish I'd have thought about it at the time. Have you seen the uh, Tim Conway thing where he's the counselor and this girl comes in and she's, uh, she's got all these phobias and and she goes, listen, she's afraid of being buried alive in a box. Yeah. And he goes, just stop it. Just stop it. She goes, but, but I'm, I'm really afraid. Stop it. Don't do it. Like, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And when you start thinking about conforming to the will of God, one of the worst things that you and I can do, I think, is to start looking at things like ingratitude individually without realizing that there's a big cancer underneath our spiritual skin. And I want to address that today. Um, I don't know how much time we got, so let's go ahead and rock and roll here. Um, all right, so we're in Luke 17. You turn there in your Bible, or if you're really hip and postmodern, you're like me. I mean, I carry this around to impress people. Pretty impressive, huh? It's actually a paper Bible, kids. You ever seen one? You never seen one? It's paper, it's got a leather binding on it, it had a rebound, it's really old. Had a rebound. Real Bible, but we're cool. We're here. Antique. There you go. Yeah. Jan goes, she's got like, she bought five cases of Bibles. Okay. She said, they're going to quit making them. I said, Jan, we need to order some more. I said, you've still got two cases left. You won't live long enough to give these Bibles away and wear them out. No, they're all, it's all going ditching. I can't use a computer. You need to order some more. Well, don't lose the ones you got, baby. I mean, seriously. Luke, stop it. Just West Woodell added a photo of you. Dude, that's so disgusting. So welcome. What? You're so welcome. I didn't thank you. But the world will. So Luke 17. This is an awesome story. I'm reading out of the, uh, I think it's the New Living Translation. As Jesus... Continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men, get this, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance. Now, what do you know about leprosy? How many of you know a little bit about it? It's a pretty bad disease. And so I think that the way it works is that this is a bacteria, right? It attacks your nerve endings and you damage your skin. It also disfigures you. But one of the biggest problems in India is people with leprosy, rats will come up in the middle of the night and chew on their fingers and actually eat their fingers off. And because they've lost the nerve endings in their hands and fingers, they actually can lose all their fingers and parts of their hands because they never feel the pain of the rat chewing on their fingers. You can burn it in a fire, damage it in a door. So it not only causes you to lose parts of your body, but it also disfigures. It's a horrible disease. And so all the, the Jewish custom was that if you had leprosy, you really couldn't have anything to do with anybody else because it was uh, considered to be so contagious. So 
If you're a leper, you're an outcast. You, your life as you knew it is basically over. So these ten guys come to Jesus. And they start pleading with him. Crying out. Verse 13. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And he looked at him and said to him, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, what happened was, as they were going to show the priest, their skin began to clear up. Their leprosy began to disappear. All ten of them. But I want you to notice what happens next here. One of them, when he saw he was healed, he looked down. I mean, can you imagine the joy of being cured of a very visible, deadly disease that also makes you a social outcast for the rest of your life. He looks down at his hands and his flesh and he notices that he's been healed of leprosy and he knows who did it. Now, out of ten people, how many of you don't know the story? Anybody not know the story? How many people went back to thank Jesus for the healing? One person. He went back and said, praise God for what you've done for me. And so what Jesus said to him is, where are the other nine? I healed ten. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Now we could get into a whole bunch of stuff about this guy being a Samaritan and you know, Jesus wanted to build a wall and make the Samaritans pay for it. And a huge wall. Jesus said, I'm going to build a huge wall. A huge wall. Yeah. Bigly. Bigly wall. You know, that's some funny stuff right there, guys. Come on now. Make fun of the orange-haired dude. I'm all right. Now, if you back up in chapter 17 and look what... Um, what happened just before that. The apostles said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. This is related to this story. The Lord answered, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of his sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No. He says, prepare my meal. And put on your apron and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he's supposed to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Now I was looking at the topics for the classes, and you need to hear this because I think this is so true. Um, turning the tide to uh, tolerance? Should be intolerance. Turning the tide on intolerance. Turning the tide of entitlement, turning the tide of doubt, turning the tide of anxiety, turning the tide of pride, turning the tide of insecurity, of bitterness, of, date, of holy, uh, turning the tide on holy dating, turning the tide on pride. It goes on here with the kid stuff. So what I'm going to suggest to you is that underneath that, that thing that's sticking up out of your spiritual skin, and we can talk about ingratitude, but it's all the same root. Underneath all of these negative things that take place in a Christian's life is an enormous cancer and it feeds out all this negative stuff. And gratitude is one of them. So basically what Jesus is saying here is that if you're going to come to me and you're going to want to be a follower of mine, then your entitlement mentality, which is the root of 
of bitterness. It's the root of of uh, it's the root of ingratitude. It's in the root of, of of all sin, of sexual sin. You fail to realize that you cannot just stamp these things out one at a time. You have to get rid of this cancer. We're going to explore what that is. Let's look at Romans chapter one. Well, I love Romans chapter one. We're going to start out in, in verse eighteen and. When I look around me today, I mean, maybe some of you younger guys think this is normal for people to walk into an airport with a 9mm pistol and just start shooting people up because it happens all the time. But I can tell you that, and some of us that are older, that was not our experience growing up. When you heard about something like this, it was actually big news. The first time somebody walked into a school and started shooting it up that we can remember was Columbine, and it hadn't been that long ago. And I cried for days. I really did, because I was a teacher, and I thought about my students. But now I see, you know, somebody walks into a school, shoots up the place, and I'm going, well, that's bad. I wish I'd have been there with my weapons. Maybe I could have stopped it, but I don't. It's just, it's become commonplace. What in the world is happening to us? Well, believe it or not, it has to do with this cancer that's inside of each one of us that unchecked begins to grow and manifest itself in all these negative ways. Chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who do what? Suppress the truth by what? By the wickedness. Hmm. So, whether we're talking about ingratitude, or we're talking about sexual sin, or we're talking about violence, hatred and discord and jealousy and gossip and slander and arrogance it all takes root it all begins to grow when I choose wickedness over truth I say to myself on some level I would rather feed my flesh than to know the truth about God and about me so let's read on chapter 1 verse 19 since what may be known about God is what? It's plain to them. How is it plain? Because God has made it plain. How? For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Now, I don't know about you, but when I looked out here at the beach, and I grew up, I went to first grade here in this town, and I grew up in Florida. I'm used to the beach. I love Florida. It's got all the physical beauty that you would ever want to look at in creation, to, except for mountains. It's just a beautiful place. In so many ways. So I'm standing there on my ninth floor balcony. Now Jan laughs at me because I don't like heights. So here's how she gets out there and leans over. No, oh, back up, baby. No, no, don't do that. And so when I walk out on my balcony, I'm like, here's the balcony. I'm like, I'm going to sit down because I'm really afraid of heights. Anybody else afraid of heights? Thank you, Tom. Okay, you're normal. They're weird. <laughs> so I'm looking out here at the, the ocean, and one thing I miss about Florida is fishing in the Gulf. Seeing the dolphins, the sharks, chase the swimmers. <laughs> and I just see forever, you know, as far as the horizon is, and the sun comes up, I saw it come up, I saw it go down. I look at what God's created. I, Lynn's been to my house, and I, I think Wes has been there too, but I live 20 feet up in the air on the Washita River, 
and I looked out one morning a few months ago, and um, it was beautiful. The leaves were still green, and, and there were deer I could see, and a beaver was swimming in the creek, and I tried to shoot it, but I missed, and uh, I, hate, I hate beavers. But it struck me that within my eyesight, this is critical, guys, listen. Within my eyesight were literally trillions upon trillions of trillions of trillions and trillions of living cells. And in each, inside of each one of those cells was amazing work going on. All kinds of little machines taking in nutrition and sending out waste and creating energy. And, and each one of them specifically and uniquely designed to do a specific task. And, and inside of each one of those cells is all the DNA to make that organism the organism that it is. And I said, you, are, you really are real. You really are real, God. It's real. I marvel at it. So what Paul's argument here is that in creation, everything that you need to know about the reality of God, boom, it's right there in front of your face. Now this relates to ingratitude. We'll get to that in a moment, but let's read on. Men are without, because men are without excuse, because you can see what God is from what's been made. For although they knew God, they neither did what? Glorified Him, nor gave thanks. They saw that God was real based on what had been created, but they didn't glorify Him. And they didn't thank Him. They did not give Him thanks. What happened instead? Their thinking became what? Futile. What does that mean? Somebody tell me what futile means. Waste of time. I have this dream of being a J.C. Penney swimsuit and underwear catalog model. <laughs> what? What's wrong with you people? Like if you told me you wanted to be a doctor, I wouldn't laugh at you. Why are you laughing? Seriously, tell me why is that humorous to you? Go ahead. You, you won't hurt my feelings. Tell me why. Somebody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at me. They're not going to accept the big and fat guy catalog. You know, but that's kind of a repulsive thought. Here I am in my swimsuit. One of those European ones. How do you get your picture? No, never mind. It ain't going to happen. It's futile thinking. It's worthless. And so we take a look at what's around us in the way that people live their lives in, and we go back and look at how we lived our lives. you talking about futile, worthless, senseless. Later on he goes and uses the word depraved. You know what depraved means? When your mind is depraved, it means your mind doesn't work like it's supposed to work. And so why does God... If we get to this, we'll look at it later. But why does God abandon people? Why does he turn them over to a depraved mind of futile thinking? Look what happens. Men stop getting turned on by women and start being inflamed in their passions and their flesh for other men. Likewise, the women, they start looking at other chicks and go, wow, that looks good. Then there's a whole list of things at the end of the chapter. Faithless, senseless, heartless, ruthless, just brutal, liars, slanderers, all this stuff that comes out of 
not giving thanks, ingratitude, and not glorifying God. So I think, in my opinion, we need to start right here. God is God. God created us. He created the universe. And you can look at you can look up into the heavens and imagine how far the end of the universe is. And you need to know that if the Bible's right, when God spoke the universe into existence, every single atom and molecule that exists was spoken into existence by Him. That's a big deal. If that's true, then me turning my life over to His care and control, that's not a big deal, is it? And the second thing is, I need to be thankful for the fact that God created me in His image. Amen? That's first. That's where it starts. So, look on down at verse 21. Their foolish hearts were darkened, and although they claimed to be wise, they became what? Fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. It's never a good thing to be ungrateful. And the consequences are dire. You stop worshiping and serving the God who created the universe. You turn your attention to the things that he created, which are all destined to perish with use. And if you don't believe me, just get on some of these websites like TMZ. Just look at the news. It's all about how people like beauty, physical beauty and, and like, you know, plastic surgery. That's a big deal in our church for a while. If we could just take, and I'm, I don't want to be crude here, but if you could take the money that was spent on, you know, augmenting women in this area right here, that's as close as something. We could have funded missions for years. Seriously. Like the lips. The, I know if you've had that surgery this time, uh, I haven't. This is natural. Okay. Is that a little uncomfortable? I'm sorry. We start thinking, it's all about this. It's all about this image. It's all about stuff that's fleeting. And I got news for you. I don't care if you're the most trim, fit, beautiful young person in this room. You're going to get old if you live long enough, and you're going to die. And your skin's going to sag. You're going to get out of the shower and look in the mirror, and you're going to say, whoa, what happened to me? And you're going to lose your hair. Right? Is that why you did that? Okay. Let's, weren't we talking about delusions a while ago? Alright. Second thing. What does it look like to be ungrateful? Look down at verse 24. We'll rush through this. Um, Therefore God gave them over. To the, in the simple desires of their heart to sexual impurity. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. If your heart is not filled with gratitude for God, if it's not filled with awe of His, if you're not standing in awe of His glory, if you're not thinking about, if, if you don't see what God has done, just the total accumulation of all of His work and it doesn't blow your mind, let, let me tell you what I think. I think you're in serious trouble. I, I really think you're in danger. And here's what happens. You've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We'll explain what that means in a minute. So God gives you over to shameful lust. Homosexuality. L, that whole LGBT thing. And I love, 
I have friends who are gay. I love them. I would lay down my life for them. I don't mind being seen in public with them. I don't mind hugging them. I don't mind having a relationship with them. In Christ, I, it doesn't intimidate me. I'm pretty sure I like woman, my woman. I'm pretty sure that Lynn has, I'm not interested in him. All right? I'm not intimidated. I don't have some latent homosexual desire for Lynn. I hope that makes you feel a little more comfortable. But look, when we encounter what's going on in the world, we need to know when we see these people that it doesn't matter what their sin is, it's rooted in this abandonment of God and the desire not to, not to praise Him and give thanks to Him. Verse 28, it gets worse. Furthermore, since they didn't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, whenever they say, whenever we said, because I said this, by the way that I live my life, and at some point you have said the same thing. I just don't think it's worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. Why? Because I want to do what I want to do, right? I don't need no God standing over me telling me, uh-uh, don't you do that. I want to do I like my independence. You caught that, huh? You like that little voice? Is that what you're laughing at? Okay. For real? Okay. Look, it gets worse here. Therefore he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They walk into airports for crying out loud and shoot people up for no reason at all. I read yesterday where a man's daughter, stepdaughter, asked him for some snacks. He's five years old, a beautiful little girl. And he looked like one of these people here. He gets up and he stabs her five times, wraps her in blankets, sets her in the bathroom, in the bathtub, and sets it on fire trying to hide his crime. What in the world? Invent ways of doing evil. I guarantee you this man's not a worshiper of God. You can't be filled with gratitude for what God has done for you and be somebody who does this. They disobey their parents. They're senseless. They're faithless. They're heartless. They're ruthless. So when we look at what the root, that big squamous cell carcinoma, my other friend Robert Abel's got diagnosed with melanoma the other day. Thankfully, they're going to be able to get it all this Thursday. But that's a horrible Deadly cancer. It's just a little spot. Like that on his arm. But underneath is this massive tumor that threatens to just wrap around every organ in his body. And it kills you dead. So we look at we look at this. We don't want to attack it symptomatically. I want to get to the root of it, don't you? I want to get down to the cancer. What is it? I've abandoned God. You're filled with ingratitude. Oh, you're in a bad spot. You've got a sense of entitlement. You're in a very bad spot. You think the world owes you a living or the world owes you happiness or that you have a right not to be offended as a child of God. It's all about being offended. You think Jesus, you think they were offensive to him as they drove the nails in his hands and feet? And what did he do? Forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing, God. Okay, it gets better. I got some really bad news here in a minute. That's what it looks like. 
Ingratitude is a very ugly thing and God turns us over to the sin when just we think we've won the lottery. Man, I get to have sex with whoever I want to. No, you didn't win the lottery. You won the punishment. That's not the prize. That's the punishment. You're out here having sex with people you're not married to and you think, oh yeah. It's all about that. You didn't win a prize. God just turned you over. He'll teach you. He'll teach you. Because he wants you. But look at this. Do you know why this characterizes an ungrateful heart? A heart full of ingratitude? Because it ignores the work that Christ did on the cross on your behalf. Hmm. It reveals in your heart an attitude that somehow you're better than other people. But what does the gospel say about you? Now here's, the, here's how you get the cancer out. Ephesians 2. Go ahead and turn to it. I love Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians 2. You used to, Lynn, you remember when you at the Florida National Seminar you hear everybody turning the pages? Of uh, 5,000 bottles. Now we go. I don't know if you're texting. I'm taking out the football. School. It's your business. I don't care. If you're not listening to me, you're going to die and go to hell and you deserve it. So. All right, Ephesians 2, verse 1. Okay. What's that hat say on the other side? Obey. Obey? It's not an Alabama hat, so you probably can read. Read the first verse. <laughs> As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Okay. You were what? Dead in your transgressions. You ever see anybody dead? Yes. What does it look like? Dead. I don't know. Not good. You ever see anybody that's ugly? What does it look like? Ugly. <laughs> what does dead mean? You're dead in your transgressions and sins. I'm assuming that most of you here have come to Christ. You didn't come to him alive. You came to him as a dead man or a dead woman. You said last night, we're going to take somebody out to the beach right here and put them to death. Well, they were really already dead. But that dude that was pretending to be alive, we had to put him to death before the new, whatever his name is, could rise up in newness of life. So what does it mean to be dead? We're going to talk about this in the negative sense for a minute here. What does it mean to be dead spiritually? What does it mean to be dead physically? What? It's cold. There's like nothing cold. Empty. Okay. Yeah, what do you say? Lifeless. Deceased. Deceased. And after a while, I mean, you know, we embalm people in our culture, but, you know, a lot of other cultures, they died and they buried them either that day or the next morning because they couldn't embalm them. And within just a few hours of death, the process of decay begins to set in. And it's not long before the stench of death begins to permeate a room, so they had to put them away pretty quickly. It's an ugly thing. I've, you know, I've been around farms and farm animals all my life, been out in the woods a lot, and occasionally a cow. I had a cow that died, and I don't want to go into the details, but should I? That's pretty cool. So cow, I looked out there, and the cow's dead. And he, he died the night before. I, 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 and he was walking kind of funny, and I, next morning I got up, and he just laid out. His little calf, about 150 pounds, 200 pounds. So I called my friend Carl. I said, you need to bring your flatbed trailer over. 
when they hauled his cow off. Why? Oh, well, he's dead. Oh, okay. So he comes up with his wife, Marianne, who was a tough woman. So Carl, she said, Carl and I said, we'll get the back legs and drag it up on the trailer, and you kind of guide the cow with the front legs. And when we picked the cow up, all this fluid came out of the cow's nostrils and was just running down Marianne's legs, and it was nasty. It was like, and it sunk. So Carl and I are going, we're just running out in the field puking. And she, you bunch of sissies, get over here, take this cow up, put him on the trailer. And I'm going, boo, every time she said it, I look at her. It's just death. Death. And so when Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, it is sort of a metaphor, it's metaphorical, but it's reality. Dead, spiritually dead, without hope, you were consigned to the ash heap of humanity. If Christ had not done what he did, when he did it, if he had not done that, you would not be sitting here this morning free of your sins. You would be eternally condemned. So, he says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. You used to do that. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air. I don't care who you are. My wife who never has been drunk in her life. Well, except that one time I got her drunk. But she's, she, I don't think she's ever been drunk. You ever She was a great girl. She was dead in her transgressions and sins. Dead. Dead means dead. Dead has no life. It has no awareness. It has no hope. It is, it is, it's final. There's no way to reverse it. And you used to live that way when you followed Satan and followed the spirit who is not working those who are disobedient. And boy, is he working right now. He's working overtime. So how did I get out of this mess? All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. I did what I wanted to do. I said, you know what? She looking good. You know what? I'd like to smoke that. You know what? I'd like to drink that. You know what? I'd like to party here. You know what? I'd like to steal this money. I'd like to cheat somebody. I, the list goes on. I'd like to slander this person. I'd like to gossip about this person. I live that way. And what does he say? By nature, I was what? An object of his wrath. He looked at me and he said, you told me I'm making somebody mad. The creator of the universe looked at me and said, I am furious with him. I'm furious. My wrath will pour out on him. What does the next verse say there, non-Alabama boy? Dude, you're not keeping up. Somebody who's keeping up. That's why I called on you, because I don't remember, okay? <laughs> but because of his great love for us. What? what? Because of what? His great love. Go ahead. Uh, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Okay. Right, good. Let's stop right here. Do you see that? If you're looking for motivation to not be ungrateful, it's as simple as this. Dead? Without hope in a crooked and depraved generation, had God not intervened, you would have drowned in your own vomit. You would have drowned in your own sins. The only reason you stand before God, righteous today, is not because you're a great person. I love you, Caitlin, but God, you would have stood before God with the weight of your evil, filthy, rotten deeds that you've done and tried to explain to him why he shouldn't condemn you to hell. 
and you would not have been able to do it. There's no defense for that. None. So the only reason I stand before God, myself, is because of what Jesus did. I became an object of God's wrath, but then he poured out his great love. At the same time, I was an object of his love, and he's rich in mercy, and he made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead, and it's by grace, an unmerited gift. I didn't earn the gift that I've been saved, and God raised me up with Christ, and God seated me with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ, in order that in the coming ages, the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that I've been saved through faith, and it's not from Gordon. It is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. I can't boast about that. I can't boast about who I am. I can't be ungrateful when I had nothing and I was a dead man and Christ redeemed me by his blood, his sacrifice and brought me into this family. What have I got to be ungrateful about? I hope she doesn't mind. My wife's been diagnosed with dementia about three years ago. And I don't like it one single bit. Because she pretends like she forgets how to wash dishes. and <laughs> She still remembers that. I don't know what, shoot, I could fall over dead with a heart attack at my age. I, when I walked in the student center the other day, I told Caitlin, one of the college kids said, you're still alive? <laughs> and another kid said, I'd like to get to know you better, but I don't think it's worth it because you'll be dead before long. That kind of stuff hurts, you know? <laughs> I don't like stuff like disease. I don't like stuff like cancer. I don't like it at all. But I'm so grateful for the fact that my wife and I were dead in our sins. We were washed in the blood of Jesus. He did the heavy lifting. He did all the work. All I did was accept it. All I did was believe it and trust that Jesus is enough, that he's telling me the truth about me and about God. And that's kind of how we've lived our lives. And so we discipled our children to do that. And we've discipled other people. We've led other people to Christ. And then people who are already in the church, we led them to do this. Am I perfect? You don't know me well enough to say that right now. No, I'm a, I'm a loser. If you look at the standard of perfection... And look at my life and put, juxtapose those two side by side. There's no way you would ever say that I'm perfect. I'm so far from perfect. It's, it really isn't funny. It really isn't. But God, by his grace and his mercy, brought me into the kingdom. And that's the only reason I'm here. So what do I do? Romans chapter 12. How much more time we got? Huh? Okay, let's go to Romans chapter 1. So, we're having this big discussion right now at White Street Road Church where I'm an elder. And some of the guys are like, and we do, I was telling some of them, like, we have, we basically have three or four, five worship services. We've got CR on Friday night, Sunday morning and Sunday night, or Wednesday night, we've got the big church together. Uh, Sunday night, we've got the college ministry. Some of those worship, quote-unquote, worship times Corporate worship times are pretty awesome, and they're all really good. I mean, compared to most churches of Christ, even our Sunday morning stuff is really, really good. But I was just thinking about ramping it up or, you know, how could we improve it and, 
And if we're going to stay, you know, an acapella church, and which I hope we do on Sunday morning. But really and truly, the discussion that I've had centers around this verse right here. Because I saw a sign, hurt people, hurt people. I saw one down the road the other day, found people, find people. So, I'm always looking. And I think this is where worshiping God, if you want to know how to worship God, you know, I'm all into that, by the way. I love your worship here. You can fake that. This is what you can't fake. You can't fake this. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of what? In view of what? The mercy of God. There's your foundation. You don't want to be ungrateful. You don't want to be entitled. You don't want to be a filthy sexual pervert. You view God's mercy. And if you can look at God's mercy and walk away and say, I don't give a rip. I'm going to do what I want to do. You're pretty cold hearted. I don't think you can do it. So in view of God's mercy, that's the foundation. That's digging the cancer out. That's getting rid of that squamous cell carcinoma or melanoma or whatever cancer is eating you up inside, spiritually speaking. You view God's mercy. You offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice. Your bodies. Well, I've been an object of women's desire my whole life. <laughs> what? 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 Go to the nursing home with me. You'll see what I mean. I'm serious. <laughs> Those chicks over there dig me, okay? But seriously, you know why I don't engage in that? Other than the fact that I love my wife and my family and it would destroy my ministry and my testimony to I don't know how many people. I view God's mercy. Why would I then turn around after what he's done for me and go do something like that? I would love to smoke a big joint about that long in my flesh. <laughs> Talking about that with somebody yesterday, I can't remember. It might have been Wes. I would love to do it. I don't have a desire to get drunk, but to smoke weed, I, I remember the times. I'm, I'm serious. I mean, my flesh desires to do that. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? Okay, thank you. All right. Why don't I do that? Because there's a prohibition against it or a rule against it? No. It's because I don't live in Colorado. No, that's not it either. But <laughs> When I view God's mercy and I see what God has done for me, what kind of man would I be to turn my back on that and go back into my life? You see what I'm saying? There's no way I could do that. I'm very grateful. I don't like some of the circumstances in my life. I don't like the struggle with the flesh. I really don't. I don't like temptation. I don't like temptation when it weighs down so heavy upon me that I can't even hardly sleep at night. And at my age, my main temptation is resentment toward brothers in the church who have just been obstacles in the way of fulfilling the Great Commission. I am just living with them sometimes. And I held it in. And I held it in. I thought we could make it work. So I finally went to him the other day. I said, you know what? In view of God's mercy, I'm going to do the kindest thing I can do here. Because you're hamstringing me and you're hamstringing yourself and you're hamstringing a lot of other people. I went to one of the dudes and I said, here's the deal. If you've got an objection for me, 
If you've got a complaint for me as an elder, I'm going to tell you the filter we're going to run it through. If it helps us fulfill the Great Commission, I'd love to hear it. But if it doesn't, shut your stinking mouth. Amen. And he went, well, brother, I, I said, no, I'm just telling you, I don't care to hear it. I don't. And that's in view of God's mercy. It's a, like to see what God has done for me and to not remove the obstacles that other people face in coming to Jesus, whatever that obstacle is, would be cruel. In view of God's mercy, offer up your bodies as living sacrifices. I belong to God now. I am His. He purchased me. I am His because of what Jesus did on the cross and in the resurrection and in the promise to come back for me. And look at what He says here. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You want to know how to worship God? In view of his mercy. Thank you. It's amazing how I get applause, even when they didn't hear what I had to say, but they knew it was going to be good, right? Yeah. Offer up your bodies as living sacrifices. You stand before the holy God who created this universe and who gave us Jesus, his son, as a living, as a sacrifice. And your statement to God is, I belong to you. Now look at this. We'll finish this up real quick since they're through. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's the renewing of my mind? It's that I am an object of God's mercy now, an object of his grace instead of wrath. I did not get what I deserve. I did not get the death penalty. I got life, eternal life, as a gift from God. So, in conclusion, if you're ungrateful, I could point out to you that you have it far better than a lot of people that I know in Nicaragua or Haiti or Mexico or Africa, other parts of the world. You got it way better. I don't care who you are, you're not anywhere close to being as poor as any of those people. But you know that. That's not the, that's not the point. The truth is that ingratitude, and if you get nothing else, listen to this. The truth is that ingratitude is the natural result of thinking that God isn't telling you the truth about yourself or about Him. That you really aren't all that bad. Or weren't all that bad. I mean, I was bad, but you know, no, you're dead. Your flesh was rotting. You were condemned to hell. And God, by his mercy, saved you. That's the first thing that ingratitude is a sense of entitlement that comes out of not accepting the fact that you really were a piece of crap. Deserving of nothing but death. And the second part of that is... That you believe not only that God is not telling the truth about yourself, that he's not telling you the truth about himself. That his love for you is so incredibly strong that it overruled his holiness and his desire for justice. And he met that desire for justice, a desire that could not be assuaged any other way except in the death of his son. That he did that because of his love for you. So the first lie is that God's not telling you the truth about your, yourself. The second lie is that God's not telling you the truth about himself, that the suffering of Christ was really not all that bad. 
That's where ingratitude comes from. My advice is to throw off your sense of entitlement as quickly as you can. One time I was putting some paint stripper on a wood floor in Florida in our house. I was going to redo the bathroom floor and there's a gel-like thing. And I made a fatal mistake of putting one foot out so I could reach one more spot. And when I did, my foot went out from under me and my fat foot went underneath. I just, I, I just slid all the way across that floor. And that stuff is toxic. It will burn your flesh. So I'm screaming and yelling. And Jan said, what's wrong? What's wrong? Don't come in here. Don't come in here. And I rolled over. You just imagine my fat self. I rolled over into the shower. And I was able to reach up and turn it on. But I'm stripping my clothes off. Trying to get that stuff off my flesh. And when you come to the point where you understand God is really telling you the truth about yourself and he's telling the truth about him. You really were that bad, and his suffering really was intense. Far more suffering than what you deserved to have done on your behalf. When you get to that point, you will strip off your pride. You'll strip off that sense of entitlement. You'll stand up, and you'll be doing it so fast, you'll throw it just as far as you can. You want to get away from it. You want to get in the shower of the blood of Jesus. You juxtapose your sinful self with the God who created the universe, and you don't stack up so well. That's the natural thing to do when you come in contact with Him. That's what you do. You fall down before your Father in heaven and beg Him to release you from your guiltiness. You beg to be released. You plead guilty. The best thing you can do is plead guilty and throw yourself on the mercy of the court. It's the best thing you can do. you got a merciful God and a merciful judge who loves to extend grace and mercy. And when you see how far God has condescended himself for you, it's hard to be anything but grateful. It really is. So, we're going to end with a prayer this morning. I pray that you will have a gospel, Jesus-centered view of sin, which is that it all comes from that ugly cancer of entitlement and selfishness that's inside of each one of us. But when you see yourself, you see God, you see what He's done. It's amazing what He'll do in your life. It really is. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today. We do admit, if we're honest that we are not good people at all. You've made us holy and you've made us perfect, God. We didn't do anything. I didn't do a single thing, God, for you to put me in the position that I'm in today. God, after all these years of following you, I'm still screwing up. I'm still sinning and I hate it with all of my heart, God. But I am grateful that your grace is greater than all of my sin. That the blood that Jesus shed is greater than anything I've ever done or will do. God, my eyes are fixed on you. I get confused and get off track and I accept things that aren't true, God. But I pray that you will strike that down in my heart, God. And I cannot wait for the day when you return, when I hear that trumpet sound and I look up into the sky and I see that your son Jesus is there and he's coming back to take us all home. That is an awesome thought, God. What a glorious day that will be. I live for it. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.